All right. Today we've got Rahul Sharma. Rahul, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Joe, for having me. I'm excited to be here. I know it took us a little while to to get this scheduled through the the winter break and whatnot, but I'm happy. You're a very busy man. I'm, I'm, I feel lucky to be on your schedule. Uh, first question, same as always. Refresh our memory. What were you doing before you started in Seattle, and what have you been up to for the last 20 years? Sure. Well, I mean, before INSEAD, I, I think I was one of the younger people in the class. I didn't have much work experience. It was a bit of a odd path that I took even to get to school. Um, you know, I did, you know, following college, I did the typical post-college investment banking path. I'd been pre-med when I entered school, took all the bio courses and the MCAT by sophomore year. But then I took a corporate finance course the spring of sophomore year, and I was just hooked. So, you know, Graduated. How, did a year uh, how, how disappointed were your Indian parents in you not uh, taking the, uh, the 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 medical route? Oh, I don't think they spoke to me junior year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I moved up to New York. I did a year of banking, and then I joined a friend who was day trading dot com stocks at a company called Tradescape. His office was a few blocks away from mine, and you know, I went to see his office one day, and there were these kids that were like one or two years older than us, making crazy amounts of money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars on one trade. And I'm sitting here with my $40,000 annual analyst salary. So I resigned from banking that day and I went to join him. And, you know, I did day trading in this office from like summer of 99 to like summer 2001. Um, I took the summer off. And then when I came back that fall, fall of 2001, the markets were different, right? Because, you know, when you're taking advantage of inefficiencies in the market, uh, well, you know, over time, those tend to be ironed out, right? Like banks get smarter about what they're leaving on the table. And so I was trying to think of what am I going to do next? And I had a GMAT score that was about to expire. Back then, they expired in five years. So I thought, why not apply to business school? Like literally no other reason than that. And so I applied to Harvard because it's Harvard. And I applied to Stanford, not because I knew how great it was or how tiny it was or how difficult it was to get into, but because it was in Silicon Valley. And you know, during the previous three years after college, I thought about, oh, wouldn't it be cool to spend some time out there? And then no other schools, not Warden, not Chicago, not anything else. But then a friend approached me and he said, hey, there's this one other good school in like semi-rural France. And I had just spent like a month in Spain that summer going all around. And I was like, sign me up. I applied. It was the only school I got into and I decided to go. And so that was pre Seattle. So then the last 20 years have well, been- Hold on, hold on. I, I got a couple a couple follow-up sure. questions on that. On that. So- this this day trading ninety nine to oh one that was a very funny time to be doing that. Were you actually day trading, or would you be in and out at the end of each day, or were you you know taking a hundred percent? That was the most amazing thing about it, right? You'd walk in at the beginning of the, the, the day all cash. You'd trade and trade and trade. It would be like you played like eight hours of football. You'd be exhausted by the time the you know. And if you stuck around for after hours trading, because sometimes stocks are active after hours, like you'd be exhausted. You'd go home and just fall asleep. But it was you'd be cash at the end of the day as well. Wow. Wow. So no and, risk and, and overnight. You, you ended up and you think you ended up uh, I assume you ended up positive at the end of that two years. You think it was because there were like the banks were being inefficient or just the general market was only going in one way. Oh, I mean, so the market peaked in March 2000, right? And then for the next year and a half, it was like going down, but it was so volatile. We were really there to take advantage of the volatility. We weren't necessarily shorting stocks, but if a stock falls like 80 points in a day and then bounces 60 points, that's a lot of room to, to play around in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, all right. We're, we're now at INSEAD and, uh, what, what have you been up to for the last 20 years? So, so, I mean, I, I basically, you know, spent, uh, Two more years day trading, three years in law school, five after years. Inside? After you're day trading more after Inside? 
for two years oh after INSEAD, yeah. Oh boy. How did, did you make more money the two years after INSEAD or the two years during the dot-com boom? Oh, much less during the two years after INSEAD. <laughs> um, uh, basically, like, you know, I, I, I knew that I wanted to continue it. We had this professor in Singapore, uh, Pierre, Pierre Hillion, who was like an international markets professor. And he sort of like opened my eyes like, oh, you can trade like all these other markets. And so like I started day trading like international stocks, bonds, commodity futures, FX. And I think after one year, I was just burned out. And so I was like, I need to figure out what to do next. I tried to. And I'm guessing you hadn't met your wife yet at this point. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be married. No. So it was interesting. You know, I had met her before NCAD, um, oh. right before NCAD started. And she, I, the reason I went out to the Bay Area after NCAD was because she was, she'd gotten into Stanford. And so this was like a chance like, to see what it was like out there. I was like, well, I can day trade from anywhere. So why not do it from, from, from the Bay Area? So I was living in Mountain View and, uh, I was getting burned out after a year. I decided to look for work. I applied to Google. It was pretty tough lining up a job with that, you know, day trading, iconoclast background. And so I decided to go back to school and sort of get back on the grid of like big company recruiters, so to speak, right? And so- no, 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 Hold on, hold on. So you, you oh, this, is, this is awesome. So you basically burned two years day trading. You tried to get a job and you were so demoralized by getting turned down from Google. You're like, I need to go back to school and like re-up my, my resume so I can get a real job. Basically, basically. <laughs> and That's so, awesome. so, you know, 2005, you know, I'm, I've applied to six schools. Uh, the only two I get into are in New York City. And so it's like a signal, like you're leaving the Bay Area and you're going back home. You know, that's sort of where my, my parents are from, where I grew up, where my brothers are. And so I did three years of law school. Um, I got a job at Wild Gottschall. It came through actually one of our classmates. So it wasn't through the NYU recruiting process. It was through- I, I assume that, that's a big law firm, right? Wild Gottschall is okay. one of the big law firms in, okay. in New York. They, they started out you know, with a big uh, uh, strength in bankruptcy. Um, but uh, our classmate, Paul Hespel, um, who was a partner at a different firm, he, when I told him I was in law school, he was like, oh, you should meet my wife. She's the head of recruiting at Wild Gottschall. And I met her and she said, you should come see our firm. This firm is great. You should not even apply anywhere else. And so I started there in 2008 and, you know, I was doing bankruptcy law at the height of the global financial crisis. So we were representing Lehman awesome. and AIG and GM and WAMU. How many hours it. a week? How many hours a week? Was it the typical, you know, entry level big law firm thing? Oh, that first year, it was like 120 hours a week easily. Insane. And I mean, Insane. it was, you were learning so much. I mean, so it's, you think about it sort of like day trading during the dot-com bubble, now like bankruptcy law during the global financial crisis, just sort of like interesting times. Um, awesome. I did that for five years. And then a friend of mine from law school who was a former trader also, you know, he just came calling and he said, hey, I'm at this fintech startup. We need help. You know, you have a generalist background. Um, we just need like help with legal and business and everything. Um, we do analytics. So, wait, so, so, you, you, so you, you're at the same firm for five years? Yep. And then now what year are we in when, when you, this, this FinTech buddy reaches out? So this is 2013. So okay, okay. a lot of change that year. This was like our 10-year INSEAD reunion. Um, but I remember, I think you were going around the world and you had brought your six-month-old to, uh, to the reunion. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And so that year I had twin boys and then all of a sudden, you know, I had this job change as well. Um, I joined my friend at his fintech startup and I've basically been in fintech and crypto ever since. It's been over 10 years now. So what was the first fintech company? The first fintech company was focused on bond market analytics. So analytics for traders at bond uh, at banks and hedge funds. And 
basically it was like a big expensive enterprise product. Um, I was there for a couple of years and then another company, another fintech startup doing something similar came along. Um, PureIQ was doing analytics for bond investors at big banks and hedge funds who were investing in marketplace lending backed bonds. So like all these startups, you know, that were new, like Lending Club at the time were, were looking to securitize their loans and sell them and, you know, raise the money to make new loans. And so we were the analytics for that. And I was only there for about six months. My wife got a good job offer to move West. And so this was that chance that we've been thinking about, like, wouldn't it be cool to move out there? Silicon Valley was booming in 2016 a little bit different than what it was in 2003. And so I left Pure IQ and, uh, and we moved out West. And um, I remember, you know, I spent some time looking for a job. You helped me out a lot there, you know, introduced me to people at Y Combinator. I started getting introduced to a lot of crypto startups that were going through the YC community, doing free work for them before I eventually took like a full-time role with, uh, with Oanda. And so, so Oanda was, was your, first, uh, your first toe in the water in crypto. Kind of. I'd, I'd been seeing a lot of crypto startups show up at these fintech meetups uh, from 2013 in New York, right? We were trying to learn more about what was going on in the fintech space. So the people from my first startup, we'd show up at these fintech startups in the evening and you'd always see like, you had people from all different verticals within fintech, people that are like saying they want to disrupt lending, disrupt banking, disrupt payments and transfers. And then there, there was these Bitcoin guys that were showing up. Like this was before ETH or any of the other chains, right? This is like, so you know, got to learn some of what was going on in that space as well and get interested there. Um, but yeah, fast forward a few years, we've moved west. I take a role with Oanda. Oanda was like a FX trading company, but it was pitched to me as like, hey, we can do a lot of interesting things in transfers and payments. We can do a lot of things that are interesting in crypto. If you're trading pounds, it's really it's not the, any different than trading Bitcoin or ETH. And so uh, I joined them. I stayed there for two years. Uh, in San Francisco. Then we moved back to New York when the opportunity came up in 2019. Stayed there for two more years. Um, there was more change. This, this, is your, this is your wife's job again that, that, you're, that, you're, uh, that, that, that takes you to New York. Exactly. So uh -huh. she um, was working for a fund out West and then uh, she got invited by BlackRock to start a group there um, with awesome. some people that she'd known for a long time. And while we could have stayed out West, uh, because BlackRock has a big San Francisco office as well. I think it was easier for everybody if we move back to New York. And actually, at the time, Oanda was going through a lot of change and kind of winding down its San Francisco presence. So the timing was perfect because the CEO sat in New York. So I would move back and get to sit yeah. next to him. Cool. So we moved back. Um, you know, there's just more change. You know, we had a third boy at the start of COVID, worked from home, you know, all of that stuff that happened in 2020, early 2021. And then Spring 2021 was probably the hottest job market. You know, this zero interest rate environment um, had a lot of interesting opportunities. And I moved to Ledger X, which was like basically crypto native. It was the first crypto native company I joined. They were doing uh, CFTC regulated derivatives in the US. And later in that year, we got uh, acquired by FTX. Oh, uh, we, I've got a whole bunch of questions, but before we get to the F word, uh, but so, so can, can you use... Uh normal language to describe what LedgerX uh, does? Because I've actually used a service, but uh, I'm not sure I can even describe what they do. So basically, it's um, you know the same way you could go to like Fidelity Futures or any other uh, commodities broker and trade like oil futures or like British pound futures or anything like that. Or you could buy options, right, on, on stocks or options on, uh, on oil or things like that. Um, 
Ledger X basically offered the same thing, but for Bitcoin and then later for ETH. So uh, it, just was just, case, it was just Bitcoin and ETH. It was basically calls and puts on Bitcoin and ETH, right? That's right. Yeah. So, okay. And okay. we were a fully collateralized business. That was a business model that had been approved. So it wasn't like people were necessarily using this to uh, do crazy levered trading with options and calls because they had to put up full collateral. So it wasn't uh, a business that had been growing as quickly as as some of these derivatives markets grow outside the U.S. All right. So now, now let's be very specific with timelines because this is when it gets interesting. Uh, what, what like month and year? When when do you get absorbed by FTX? So we we got approached in July. We signed the agreement a month later, and of then twenty one or twenty two of twenty one. And then okay. uh, by October, the the transaction had closed, and we were getting uh, we were getting integrated. Now we couldn't get fully integrated because the CFTC license has to sit in its own separate entity. So we were mm. always separate as a unit within the broader organization. But of course, we were getting to know many people throughout the company during that time. So the end, end basically the end of 21, you start rubbing elbows with FTX people. Exactly. Uh, and then when does it all blow up? Uh, when does the FTX all blow up again? So uh, it all fell apart in November of 2022. So just a well, little so while you, you had almost later. a whole year. Where you're, 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 you know, let's call it a part of FTX. Correct. At any, I, I may have asked you this question uh, after having a few drinks at the reunion, but I, I, I'm going to ask it again for everyone's sake. At, 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 did you ever sort of start to to smell something funny going on, uh, or was it as much of a surprise to you as it was to people on the outside? It was a complete surprise. I mean, I think, uh-huh. um, I, I think in hindsight. Uh, and this goes to, I think, one of the questions you had later, you know, in terms of like, um, what would you have done differently? You know, I think one of the earlier startups I was at was a startup where it was almost run like a family business. It was like an LLC with no board. And of course, everything turned out fine. But from my point of view, I always thought like I would never want to be in that position again, right? Like that's very much like a very high key man risk and not just like the risk of like, what if the guy gets hit by a bus, but also it's just like a lot of concentration of power. Like there's no guardrails, there's no checks and balances. What if this guy decides to do something wrong? And then I think, you know, at FTX, you know, fast forward, that's like four or five companies later, um, you know, we're at this entity and, you know, I look around and I'm asking myself like, Hey, you said you would never put yourself in this situation again. And then within a few seconds, I just brushed it off. I was like, no, 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 it's different this time. It's different this time. And, you know, of course, those are always famous last words, right? But th- they didn't have a board or anything like that. I, I, I thought there was at least some of them just not, didn't have any teeth. The, the, the broader organization, most of the entities basically had a board of like Sam and one other person. Oh, and, wow. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, Ledger X did not. We had like a board of like eight or nine people that were all like giant derivatives industry uh, giants and professionals because that's what the CFTC requires. Uh, and in the end, our entity ended up being fine and our customer money was ring fenced. And so we were the only entity that was kept out of the bankruptcy. And eventually they sold us off to a, a buyer, um, which was probably the right buyer. The buyer knew us very well. They had been one of our shareholders before the sale to FTX. Which which is really interesting that 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 and, and Ledger X is still a, an ongoing concern, right? We we can go there and use their service right now, correct? Hundred percent. And is that because of the CFTC license where you had to maintain some you know internal Chinese wall, so you we couldn't had, get we, fully? We had all the checks and balances. Our customer funds were ring fenced, and so they were not available uh-huh. to uh, the broader organization to use for whatever uh, the you know the way that you know FTX might have been doing with their own funds. Hmm. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. That I mean, 
I hopefully I'm not making you feel defensive over over the, how much of a surprise it was to you because there there were a lot of you know very smart very professional people within FTX who presumably had the same thing happen to them that they, they it was it was as much of a, it was just a few people that were involved in all of the shenanigans and you know, nobody else really knew that yeah I mean that's what's come out in the court cases it basically was just like the top few you know people that were in a room together and like. Mm-hmm. You know, outside those four, I, I don't think anyone else has been charged with anything or even, you know, had anything mentioned just because it does seem like it was just those four. And I can see your lawyer sitting next to you smiling right now that we've both we've corroborated that on on on, on the podcast. And and are you still wearing an ankle monitor or have they let you uh, have they let you roam freely? No. No, no, you know how it is here. You know, we <laughs> you know DIY, do it yourself. I'm the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a there's a famous quote about that, I think. Uh, so let's let's move on from FTX. Uh, thanks for indulging my my, my morbid curiosity. Uh, what are, what are you up to? What have you done since? Well, so I mean, it was a very interesting sort of uh, end of 2022, early 2023. You know, che- <laughs> checked a lot of boxes, right? You know, got into a Michael Lewis book, got into some government exhibits of small group chats. But uh, um, I, I I basically spent some time trying to figure out if I was going to stick with Ledger X or move around, and I think I decided. Um, while I love the team there, um, they were going to a traditional finance buyer and I wanted to continue to stay in crypto and give it another shot. And, uh, and I ended up landing at a company called MoonPay. So basically I stayed with LedgerX until the day the sale closed and then took a week off and then started at MoonPay a week later in late May, early June. And, I've been and here you were basically since- chief, chief legal officer or, 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 or counsel, right? No. So at LedgerX, I was the second in command. I was the deputy okay. general counsel. Okay. And then here I am one of the three deputy general counsels that's been hired by the new general counsel. Okay. Okay. And w- what are you doing for Moonpay? So I, I, I have my focus now. Until now, most of my career has been a generalist lawyer covering sort of, you know, all sorts of uh, transactional work, litigation, IP, employment law, real estate, you name it, uh, privacy. Uh, here, I have a real focus on commercial and corporate. So, you know, any of the sort of business partnership deals that we work on, um, any of the M&A um, that we're doing, uh, there there is a lot of, um, you know, crypto companies that are, interesting out there um, that are available for partnerships or for acquisition. And so it's been quite busy for us. So that, that what, what I heard you say is like not the regulatory stuff, more like the operationally businessy stuff, shall we say? Exactly. One of the other deputy general counsels uh, is focused on regulatory work. In my past companies mm-hmm. like at Oanda, I have worked very closely with the regulators like, you know, the US, Singapore, England, Japan, Australia, uh, Germany, you name it. But but here, um, that sort of is not in my ambit. My focus is really on corporate and commercial work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And, and the, the, I mean, you took a very unique uh, post-insiad uh, approach where, or, or, or path where you went and got a whole entirely different degree um, in these these you know interviews and job offers you've gotten since the law degree. Do you feel like they they cared at all about your NCAD degree or they, they were just looking to hire a lawyer and, and they, they weren't, weren't necessarily looking at somebody who was a lawyer and an MBA? No, I, I think it, it, it absolutely helps. I mean, one, it, it, the, the community is so vast, it gets your foot into a lot of doors. Um, mm-hmm. But two, also, like people have a real respect for the work you've done in the past. And most of the work I've done in the past has all been informed by 
by the knowledge that I gained at, at, at INSEAD. I mean, um, the first couple of startups I worked at were, were hybrid legal and business roles. Um, and then more recently, it's been only legal focused, but, but people know your background and they're always coming to you and asking, well, how would you segment this market or how would you approach pricing for this product or things like that based on like the experience you might've had in the past? Yeah, right on, right on. All right, last question, uh, two-parter. Is there anything we as the community can do for you or vice versa? What are you able to do to, uh, to, to, to help out the community? I mean, you know, at the moment, I, I, I think, you know, uh, I'm not in need of assistance, but, but I want to be able to, to help and give back. I mean, the community has given me so much, you know, some of my closest friends, so much help professionally. I mean, you know, not just our class, but also the broader community, like in San Francisco and New York, the NCAD community is so active, right? I've received so much mentorship, so much guidance. It's really an amazing thing. Like, you know, who could have imagined all of this coming from 22 years ago? I've got a GMAT score I don't want to lose. And oh, hey, there's this one school in rural France, right? Uh Um, And in terms of like what I could offer the group, like, you know, I mean, if anyone wants to work in fintech or crypto, like I've got a broad network there. Um, personally, like I'm always, you know, around to try to help in any way I can, you know, whether it's lending an ear or anything else, like this community of ours has, you know, really been such a blessing. Or if anybody else finds themselves working for a CEO who may or may not be engaged in illegal activity, maybe you can help them navigate that, uh, that basically stay out of jail. hundred uh... percent. I mean, you know, it's a funny <laughs> story. Like, uh, when my wife was graduating Stanford, like Steve Jobs spoke at her commencement in 2005. And like his theory was at that speech was like, you can't really connect the dots looking forward. It's only looking backward that you can connect it. And, you know, like I've, I've gotten pretty lucky because that's, that's sort of, you know, how my, my path has been without a proper plan. The last 20 years, I probably need to have a better plan, you know, more focused going forward. But like we moved to the Bay area in 2016 only because we'd lived there before and we felt comfortable sort of uprooting, New York to go there. It's probably the only place we would have gone. Like my first fintech job was in analytics for asset-backed securities, which was like the first banking job I had out of college. Uh, so I knew the product, right? Oanda, like, yeah, they wanted someone who knew enterprise technology, which my first two fintechs were, but that's like only 20% of the business. 88% was like trading. And, you know, there's not too many former FX traders that have law degrees or, you know, so I knew that market, mm. you know, and then, you know, moved to Ledger X that was CFTC regulated. So I got there because Oanda had been, you know, the same regulator. And then FTX and post FTX, like, you know, now it's coming full circle, right? Like you see a lot of distress in the crypto markets and there's not too many people that have a combination of like crypto law knowledge and bankruptcy law knowledge. So it's been a, a very interesting time. I mean, um, it's, it's just, you know, the journey is crazy. And it's, uh, I would, many would argue, just getting started. Uh, Rahul. That's a wonderful way to end this. Uh, Thank you so, so much for your time. Really, really nice catching up. Thank you, Joe. This was great.